What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career. And in the meantime, joins the 4 million other podcasts on the internet. And the John Cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Jeff, what are you drinking today? Hey, John. Um, I've got a uh, my Florida Gator mug, and it's it's full filled of a little uh, hazelnut roast there. Oh, excellent, excellent. I've got my my morning coffee. And I'm so excited to speak to my guest today on the John Cast podcast. He is Jeff Wilson. He is an entrepreneur in tech companies. He's also started the company Sports Card Investor, investing tools and advice for the sports card hobby. So you got to tell me, Jeff, how did you get into sports cards? Sure. I mean, like probably many people listening, I was into it as a kid, right? It was actually how I cut my entrepreneurial teeth. And one of the things I love most about sports cards is the fact that, you know, I've, I've gone on and had this entrepreneurial career where I started 13 different companies, but I learned some of the characteristics of how to, how to do that by buying and selling and trading sports cards when I was in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. So those were really important years to me. So it's, it's cool being back in it now, you know, like many people, I lost touch with it for a long time, but then I got back into it again about four years ago. And it's really cool living in it every day now and and being able to espouse the benefits of it of you know of of the fun of 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 trading cards to others and seeing new kids getting into it too uh and learning those entrepreneurial lessons just like I did. Yeah. Was there a player, was there a card that when you were a kid that you always wanted or that you had or that was your favorite card because for me it's always been the 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr. card, right? And I I can obviously go purchase one right now as an adult but I'm holding out hope that I'll still get it in a pack one day. Uh-huh. I want to get it the old school way. So when I went to the national last summer and two years before that, I'm always buying 89 upper deck. I'm just, I want to pull the 89 Griffey. I don't know. That's the card I've always wanted as, as a child growing up. Was there a, a card like that for you? It's funny you say that because, you know, I was part of that same era and the 89 upper deck Ken Griffey Jr. Rookie was the big chase card. Um, I had obviously as a kid, I it was working off of a weekly allowance. So, um, I could only afford to occasionally buy an upper deck pack because they were the premium packs, right? right? I would most typically Donruss was the one I would most often buy. Um, cause they were a lot cheaper than upper deck and I could, I could get them in plentiful, you know, plentiful. Um, I, I did, however, buy a bunch of upper deck packs over the course of time, uh, as a kid never once pulled a Ken Griffey Jr. So I, I respect uh, your mission to try to pull it today. I have since bought one, but I cheated and I just bought one, you know, graded off of eBay in recent years. Um, I, I have never pulled one out of a pack uh, despite buying a lot of those upper deck packs. For me, I would say definitely that card. And then the other was the Bo Jackson card where he's got the bat behind his head uh, the yeah. score, the score bow card, the black and white photo of him. Because uh, of course, that was also Bo Jackson's heyday, you know, as well. And that was, uh, you know, the really fun time to be watching him play. Bo Jackson was was the man. Now, what's interesting about all that is we talk about sports card investing. Back then, Bo Jackson would have been the, you know, the premium, one of the premium players. And now today, not so much, but I guess that's the way sports cards have always kind of been. It's always been this up and down and sometimes traje- trajectory up 
Um, and now uh, with Sports Card Investor, you guys are just putting all the data together. Right. Well, there's a couple different ways to approach sports cards. One is that you can buy the, the cards of the younger players, and then you are taking that Bo Jackson type of chance where if, you know, like right now, obviously people are spending tons of money on Patrick Mahomes and, and now uh, Kyler Murray this year has come hot on the scene. You know, a lot of these young quarterbacks, Justin Herbert's been real popular. Josh Allen's been real popular. Um, people are throwing tons of money into their cards. Uh, and then the question is, what are they going to go on to do for their career? Because if they're if they if they don't, you know, if they're not able to keep it up um, or, you know, God forbid, there's an injury or something like that, like there was with Bo Jackson, then then, yeah, those cards could become actually a lot less valuable over time. On the other hand, if they go on and have a Tom Brady like career, then their cards are, are likely going to go up and up. So that's one way you can approach it. That's the more risky way. It's also very fun to approach it that way. Of course, the other way you can approach it is you can just buy the cards of the retired Hall of Famers and or even well-established current players. Like in basketball, investing in a LeBron James is a lot safer of the bet than, you know, investing in, you know, the the eighth pick in the draft this year or something like that. Yeah. And I think investing in the more modern way, like you're talking about, that's kind of, uh, I, I guess I'm a mix when I look at, at what I've put into sports cards, but it's fun. It's almost like a game you, you watch. I got more into the NBA over the last two or three years than I have been, you know, the previous 10 years of my life, you know, you get really invested into the sport and it becomes fun again too. investing in that way. in some of the current players, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's, it's very similar in that respect to fantasy football or, or sports or sports gambling. I think it's a superior form of both. Um, you know, what people like about fantasy sports, fantasy basketball, fantasy football, fantasy baseball, is they like trying to pick those players who they think are going to outperform expectation that year and, you know, go on and have good seasons. Well, if you play in a fantasy sports league, let's say it's a one where you, you know, pay some money to get into it. Um, at the end of the season, only a few people are going to win money, right? And a lot of people will have lost whatever your, your buy-in was. Well, another alternative is to just go buy the sports cards of those players who you think are going to have a really good season. And if they have a really good season, chances are their cards are going to be worth a lot more at the end of the year than when the season started. If they have a, a poor season, then their cards are not going to go down to zero, most likely. You know, they're still going to be worth something. They may not be worth as much as what you put in them. So in many ways, I feel like it's almost a little safer, you know, safer form, but has a lot of similarities to fantasy sports and has a little bit of the gambling element as well. Now, you talked about how you got back into sports cards about four years ago. Is there a unique story that got you back into sports cards? What is it that triggered this entire company of sports card investor? Yeah, I kind of came full circle because my son uh, came home from my mom's house, uh, his grandmother, with some cards one day that she had bought him when he was down visiting her. And so, uh, you know, he, he, he showed them to me and we were kind of going through them together. And, and honestly, I, you know, I, I wasn't even certain they had, they were still making sports cards. Like I hadn't seen a sports card in years and years um, uh, after being so into it when I was a kid. But of course, looking at these cards then got me thinking like, oh my gosh, I still have all the cards from when I was a kid locked away. And so I, I got them all out and we, you know, showed him some of those. And then, and then um, that led to uh, me looking into, you know, more cards, him wanting to buy more cards and me looking into, you know, sets that were out today and everything like that. And, and I all of a sudden realized 
oh my gosh, I think this thing's going to be massively huge again. I think this, I think the sports card hobby is going to explode again because there's so many things about it today that are so much better than when we were kids. And so as a result of a, a whole bunch of reasons, I predicted a few years ago that this, that the sports card hobby was going to explode in popularity again. And that's absolutely what happened. Yeah. You know, you mentioned it was your son that, that got you into this. So one of the things that I've thought about over the last few years as, you know, I got back into the hobby and just like a lot of other collectors, you stop at the targets or the Walmarts and you want to go pick up a, a box or a pack of cards and they're gone. The shelves are empty. There's a line of people, you know, um, I, I, one of the things that I wonder about is, is, is where we're at now going to hurt the hobby long-term for kids who want to get in it, who can't, you know, who go to target and the shelves are empty. So how, how did they get involved when there's no product for them to buy and open and, you know, kind of have that fun, like we did opening cards and opening packs and, and then getting into it. Yeah, that's a challenge. Um, that's a real challenge because the, you know, the part of the reason why cards have more value today is because they're not overprinting them like they were in the late 80s and the early 90s. And, and that said, they are printing more and more every year. So we do have to be very careful about that. We have to watch out. But they the there's still right now more demand than there is supply. So whereas back, you know, when everything when everything kind of went downhill last time back in the early 90s, the the supply was exceeding the demand times multitudes. And so on one hand, these manufacturers, we need them to be very careful and control the supply so that the market doesn't get flooded, so that the value of cards can remain high and, and continue to build. But on the other hand, that can make it difficult to obtain cards. It makes it more expensive to obtain cards. And as you said, it can be difficult for kids getting into it. My, my feeling on what the manufacturers should do, and, and they're, they're not fully doing this right now, but my feeling is they should basically designate certain sets as the we're getting into this we're just going to collect the card sets and they should just print the heck out of them and make those sets always available at retail always inexpensive for kids to be able to get into and then all the other sets can be the ones that are higher end that can be you know more expensive boxes and you know and i say they're they're doing that a little bit um, but they're, they're, you know, they do have some stratification with the different types of sets, but it's not quite distinct enough because right now, even some of those low end sets are still going for a lot of money. So I, I feel like they just need to make that distinction more apparent and be more transparent about that distinction as well. I think that's a fantastic idea. You know, you have that one set that kids can actually afford that parents will go buy at the targets or the Walmarts for them. And then you've got that others, the other sets, you know. But fanatics is moving now into this space too. So, um, what do you anticipate with fanatics? I mean, they're going to be one of the major players in, in doing some of the things that you that you hope they'll do as card manufacturers. Yeah, it's going to be a real interesting transition. You know, Tops has been the producer of baseball cards for about seven years, I believe, um, and starting in a few years, they won't be. Now, that's assuming fanatics doesn't try to you know, buy them or buy their brands out or something. But uh, if that doesn't happen, then then Fanatics takes over as the producer of baseball cards in, I believe, 2023. Um, and then they will also take over as the producer of football and, and basketball cards at the end of 2026, when, which is when um, Panini's license ends. So that will be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what Fanatics does with it. I think they're going to go much more direct to consumer. 
Um, I don't know how much product you'll see in retail or that will even be a thing in another three or four or five years. Um, or if everything will just simply be sold online direct to consumer, I'm not totally sure. Um, but the, the, uh, there's a lot to figure out, but it's, but what I do like about it overall is the fact that Fanatics is a hugely successful company. They're bringing real money into the space. They're placing massive, massive bets on the space. They they're raising money to do this at a $10 billion valuation for their new trading card venture. And what that tells me is that they really feel like this is just the beginning for sports cards. And even though we've seen exponential growth the last couple of years, they expect that exponential growth to continue and, and, and to, to go up more and more and more. Yeah, should be interesting times in the next few years. You know, you, you talked about back in the day, the supply versus the demand and all the cards that were printed back when we were kids. How much is a population report when you're investing into a card? When, when, when I download your app and I go to Sports Card Investor and I see the population reports for a PSA or something like that, the reason I bring this up is because, you know, I like many collectors have a, a Luka Doncic Prism rookie PSA 10. You know, I obviously got it right, I got it right before the market exploded. So I got it at a pretty good price. But um, I think there are 20,000 ish Lucas. And PSA 10, how much do those numbers mean compared to like a classic card? And I know I'm, I'm making a very stark comparison here, but like a Jordan rookie back in the day has like what, 300 and some PSA 10s, a Luca rookie, the Zion rookies, we're talking 20,000 plus. Well, the funny thing is there was probably even more Jordan rookies printed than those Luca rookies. It's just that not many of them made it through the last 40 <laughs> yeah. years in, in yeah. good condition uh, or 35 years in good condition like the Luca rookies did. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a sure that's a thing, right? So what we're talking about, again, is just supply and demand, right? And so there's a lot of Luca rookie cards out there on the market. There's a lot of them that are graded in perfect condition, his base rookie cards that are out there on the market. So the right. question is, what does demand look like stacked up against supply? Now, 20,000 sounds like a big number when you're comparing it to the population of Michael Jordan's rookie card in perfect condition, as you said, or many other cards of players that were produced in, in previous years. Uh, before the print run started increasing in 2018, 2019, 2020, et cetera. Um, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is 20,000 that big of a number, right? Is there, are there not, are there not more than 20,000 basketball fans and collectors on, on earth that would really want that perfect Luka Doncic based rookie card? Right. Uh, so, you know, it's the, the numbers, the numbers are big, but they're but they're big only kind of relative uh, to where things are today. Maybe maybe not relative to where things are going to be five years or ten years from now. We'll see. Yeah. Um. You know. But that said, the car the card manufacturers have have um become savvy, and what they've done is they've started creating all these different variations of a card. So while what you're talking about is Luca's base card, there's also his silver card, which is a you know, less printed variation. I think there's about 2000 of those in PSA 10 condition, as opposed to 20,000 of the base card. Right. And then you've mm -hmm. got uh, cards that are actually serial numbered, like his, his blue card, which is serial number to 199. So there's only 199 of those in existence or, and it gets even rarer, his gold card, serial number to 10, et cetera. And so if you want the card, but you want to know that the card that you own is is more rare and there's not going to be 20,000 copies of it 
you can buy one of those more rare variations. Of course, you're going to pay for that. The price right. is going to be substantially more. I think that's a really good point, actually. And I think you make a great point about condition, right? Because back in 1986, I don't think there were too many kids who, if they had a Jordan, weren't thinking about the condition of it or sending it in to get graded because obviously that didn't exist. But you bring up the variation cards. And I thought I, uh, you know, I thought I heard you say once in an interview that Justin Herbert, there are 769 different cards that sports card investor is tracking with his rookie. And, you know, I think maybe that could be a good thing for the hobby in the future. Because like you said, if you're getting into sports card investing, or you want to do this just as a side hustle or something for fun, there are different price points, right? You can get into, you can get into that ultra rare Luca rookie, or you can go base, or you can go a, a different brand or manufacturer. So I think that's, that's kind of important to, to talk about as well is that, there are different price points you can get into this hobby at or investing at right now. There are. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and uh, if, you know, if you go for the most, if you go for the, the, you can go, you can come in at the high end and you can go after the cards that might be more quote, the investment caliber cards that, that people want to pour money into and, and will likely retain value for, for a long time to come. But there's also a lot of other types of cards and some people love just simply the collecting aspect of it. If you don't care so much about the value that these cards may have over the long run, and you more so just want to collect your favorite players, your favorite teams, all that type of thing, there's a lot of sets you can go with that that are going to be less sought, off, sought after and less expensive, but very cool to look at and very cool visually. I, you know, I'm both a collector and an investor, right? So I collect Florida Gator cards. And I, I collect a lot of the guys. So I've got it like, for example, I've, I've got a huge collection right now of Kyle Trask yeah. and Kyle and Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony, because they were our, our three, you know, top draft picks from this last season. And they're all all cards in their college uniforms. And, and they're they're not worth a ton of money, particularly the I mean, the Kyle Pitts, you know, a little more so because uh obviously he was the top five draft pick, but but Kadarius Tony isn't someone who's, you know, getting a whole lot of, of attention, uh, but he's someone who I just want to buy from a collection standpoint. So, so you can scoop up those types of cards that you want to collect and, and generally not have to pay a lot. And you may not care what brands they are. You may just go after what cards look the best in that case as well. All right. So for someone who's listening to this and is interested in this, what is the best way to get into sports card investing for someone who's who's kind of trying to dip their toes. Maybe they've read about it online. They've seen the stories on television. What's the best way to get into this space? Yeah. I mean, just like any type of thing you're getting into, if you're, if you're approaching it at all from a financial or an investment standpoint, then obviously you want to do your research. You want to do your homework. And the good news about sports cards is there's a lot of really good free resources available online that you can get started with, right? So obviously uh, at Sports Card Investor, we have a YouTube channel that we put a ton of content out over the course of time about sports card investing. And we've also got our website, sportscardinvestor.com. And you know we, we put content out constantly on our Instagram and everything like that to help teach people how to approach sports cards and what sports cards are hot right now and everything like that. And there's a lot of other good content creators that have done the same. Um, we've also created uh, a free app called the Sports Card Investor app that's in the App Store. And that's a kind of a simple to use price guide that shows you what different cards are worth and how they've you know, gone up or down over time. So that's a great way to start. We also have a more advanced product called Market Movers 
which is a very comprehensive uh, data tracking platform to track all the price movements of, of, of you know, hundreds of thousands of different cards. But for someone just starting, start with the free resources, start with the Sports Card Investor app and start with all the great content on, on uh, YouTube. And, and where would the sports card hobby be without eBay, right? I mean, sure. without eBay, I, I don't know if this can do what it's done. Ebay's, eBay has been the you know, premier marketplace in the sports card hobby for, for a long time. And there's other new marketplaces that have popped up recently and some that are doing some really interesting things, some that are doing a really good job. Um, but, um, but yeah, eBay is still the, you know, kind of the gorilla when it comes to sports card sales online. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's, if, you're, if you're buying or selling cards, that's a, a great place to go look. Um, and, you know, there, but then there are, are plenty of others to check out as well, uh, from ComC to, to StarStock yeah. and StockX is in it. And there's auction houses. There's a lot of other options. Okay. So how has the PSA backlog affected the hobby, in your opinion? Because I'm going to be honest with you, Jeff, I've been waiting since December of 2020 for, for one of my bulk submissions from PSA. And it's, what are we in now? October of 2021. I mean, they weren't prepared for what hit them, obviously. But how has that affected the hobby, in your opinion? Yeah. And, and yeah, so the obviously the grading companies have been real backed up because everybody is, you know, the, the hobby, so many new people have entered the hobby. They wanted to send cards off to get graded. And so these grading companies have these massive, massive backlogs. Um, there's a couple different ways to look at it. You know, some people, I, I've heard some people have a kind of a dire prediction that like, you know, oh, as these grading companies are pumping out all these cards and they're hitting the market, that it's going to really water down, you know, the cards that are out there on the market. And so there will all of a sudden be a lot more supply and that will cause prices to go down. Mm-hmm. That could be true. Um, on the flip side, I've heard people say, Actually, it will it will free up a lot of capital because right now, someone like you, you've got this order with PSA. It's been sitting there since December. Essentially, what has happened is you have made a deposit of actual real money into a bank that's being controlled by PSA, and you have no access to that money. You can't get that money. That money is not, not there. Once PSA gives you those cards back, you can choose to sell them if you decide to, and then you can turn around and use that money to buy more cards. So, mm-hmm. so the, the you know I've heard that theory, right? That actually right. all the cards coming back from PSA and being sold will unlock capital, and then that will cause a higher you know transaction volumes to start to rise overall, which will then help prices. So it's hard to say what it what it actually means, but for the for the you know for the person who's sitting there waiting for their cards to get back, it is a frustrating feeling. No, but I think you're right. Maybe on on the latter of what you were talking about, because I've always kind of been in that first camp. I thought, okay, well, man, this means there's going to be millions and millions of cards coming out there. But I, I hadn't th- thought about it that other way, where because I think you're right. Once I get that and I and I unload a couple, I'm going to start putting more money in into some other cards or some other players that I think uh, have some potential. So I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting way to look at it because I'm not sure if if um, you know, not everyone has thought about it uh, like that. So I do, I do like that. You know, this, this kind of gets back to the question, why, why is this? Because obviously you invested in it and you've created this wonderful company um, that I think all sports card co- uh, collectors should check out. Why do you think this will last long-term? Um, 
I think it's going to last. Well, first of all, there's a lot of things that are are different about sports cards today than when we were a kid mm-hmm. that help set them up for long-term success. So, I mean, we were just talking about grading, the fact that cards are authenticated now, the fact that they're graded, the fact that they are, uh, you know, only a certain number of cards that achieve perfect scores on grading, and then those become the most sought-after ones. That that helps because that creates additional scarcity within the market and it creates legitimacy uh, to know that cards are authenticated and real and everything like that. We talked about eBay and the various marketplaces. It's a very liquid market now. Um, it's you can buy and sell cards very quickly, which is not the case, you know, 30 years ago. People are looking at this as if it is a alternative asset investment. And the alternative asset investment class in general. Is, is increasing in size in America. People are putting more and more uh, money into alternative assets every single year. And alternative assets include things like sports cards or other forms of collectibles, comic books um, have become you know, very popular, um, you know, even, even things like you know, sealed video games and that kind of thing yeah. have started to increase in popularity, right? You've got... Um, You've got, uh, yeah, and obviously for, for a long time, you've had fine art. People put money into fine arts and, you know, that type of thing as well. But I think, you know, the rise of cryptocurrency, people seeing cryptocurrency, NFTs now, people seeing those as potential places to park some money, potential value stores. I think people, you know, and when they see the gains that many of these kind of alternative asset areas have experienced uh, over the last few years, I think you see more and more investors who are saying, well, maybe I should park 5% of my total portfolio over there. Instead of just, you know, instead of all the traditional methods, what if I took 5% and put it in alternative assets and see how that category performs against stocks and bonds and real estate and that type of thing. And, and, you know, over the last few years, it's outperformed it times many multiples. Yeah. And it's more fun, in my opinion. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot more fun. Okay. A couple final invest questions. In, invest in what you love, right? I mean, that's, that's a big part of it too. Why not invest in what you love? Why not take a, a piece of your investment portfolio and put it into something you actually love as opposed to just another, you know, another mutual fund that, that has no personal significance to you? Right. And, and it's, it's, I like it because it's also, I like to display my cards. Mm-hmm. There's some cool cards that look really neat out there. And I think they're like little pieces of art. So yep. I, I do like to display it that way. Okay. A couple final questions for you. Um, any advice as to who, who, who are you watching right now as some players, whatever the sport is that you think have, have a lot of growth potential? Sure. So, um, one guy in particular, actually, who I, who I like this NBA season when this NBA season coming up is is Kevin Durant. Um, he's he's obviously not a young up and coming player, and that right. might have been where you were expecting me to go there. But his cards are 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 relatively inexpensive compared to someone like LeBron James. They're they're a fraction of LeBron James, and and I think with the and they've, they've gone down a lot too over the last year. You know, people had high expectations for the Nets last year. Obviously, it didn't come to be. And, um, and, and Durant's card prices have gone down a fair amount. And entering this season, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Nets having um, a lot of opportunity ahead of them, of course, now they might be without their point guard, Kyrie Irving. Right. But nonetheless, the Nets are, are still going to be a favorite entering this season. And even if they don't win it, if you look back, 
10 years from now, 20 years from now, Kevin Durant is still one of the greatest players of our generation. Um, even if he does nothing more in his career, he's still one of the greatest players in our generation. And so I honestly think he's a bit underrated for everything he's achieved. I think he's a relatively safe investment because of the fact that he is always going to be looked at as one of the greatest players in our generation. Surefire Hall of Famer, first ballot without a doubt. And um, but he's still got the upside of, you know, what 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 the Nets could potentially do. And could he get a ring or two? And, and how will that shape his legacy? And what could that mean? So. You know, so he's he's one of those he's one of those guys who I like. Um, I'm I'm also looking a lot at at soccer cards. Soccer soccer cards have been a quickly growing area within the within the sports card hobby. Um, with the World Cup coming late next year, I think it's going to be a boom for soccer cards. And then, of course, the World Cup coming to the U.S. in 2026. I think there's some some big days ahead for soccer cards, and so that's another area that I would pay attention to for sure. Okay, final uh, two two for one for you, Jeff. Uh, I'd like you to tell everybody about the apps that you have available, including the Market Movers app. And I also was watching one of your YouTube videos, uh, The Day in the Life Part 2. And in that, you said you've made a ton of mistakes. So what's the top piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's starting a business? And then let everybody know about, about the apps that you have available at their disposal. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, you you know, my top piece of advice is to embrace the mistakes and understand that the mistakes are part of the journey. And, that, and that's the truth because you're never, whether it's investing in sports cards or whether it's starting a business or, or, you know, it's, it's all part of a journey and, and the journey there's, it's never, you never get everything right. I tell, you know, I, whenever I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a business uh, owner and, you know, doing some mentoring, I always say, look, it's two steps forward and one step back. And if you can do that, you're doing really well. If every time you take two steps forward, expect to step back, but that's okay. Cause as long as you're taking more steps forward than steps backwards, you're going in the right direction. And there will always, always, always be the steps backwards. And you can't, you, you just got to understand that's part of the process. You can't let them drag you, drag, drag you down. You can't let that um, have a personal effect on you. You've just got to, you've just got to keep going forward. And it's the same with sports cards, right? Like I, I, I have invested in some pretty, silly players to invest in over time. I, you know, I thought that um, Josh Richardson was going to be, uh, you know, have a breakout year a couple seasons ago for the 76ers. And, and, you know, he never really uh, materialized. And um, I, I, Justice Winslow was another guy who I, I thought mm. was going to be a star for the Miami heat back in the day and, yeah. and, you know, was buying up his cards and he's been a journeyman and has never really uh, certainly never, you know, fulfilled that potential. So, um, you make those mistakes and, but you, as long as you're doing more things right than you're doing wrong, then you're moving in the right direction and you got to You got to keep your head up and keep moving forward. Um, our apps, we've got the sports card investor app that is free in the app store. And then we've also got a cool product called market movers. Market movers is a really comprehensive way of tracking your collection and understanding the daily changes, uh, in the values of sports cards. Um, in fact, market movers, you can put your whole collection into market movers and every single day it will tell you what the current value is of your collection and how it went up or down from the day before. So it's a, it's a pretty cool product and you can check all of that out. Uh, if you just uh, go to our website, sportscardinvestor.com, we link to all of that there. Excellent. I lied. I have one final question. Sure. Your best, your favorite card that you've invested in that you own right now that you that you just love, like, I'm, I'm glad I bought that one. Well, it's probably, 
Well, I'll give you two. You know, the most iconic card that I own that I love is the 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan, you know, rookie card. Yeah, yeah. I actually own five of them, uh, two of them in perfect 10 condition. Um, and uh, one of them I actually bought when the market dipped uh, earlier this year and got it for a steal. And that's gone up quite a bit since then. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I also... <laughs> One one of them uh, is signed by Michael Jordan uh, that I own, so that's pretty neat too wow. to have an on card signature on that rookie card uh, authenticated. Um, but then, in terms of a newer card, I have a, a card that is a dual autograph of Luka Doncic and uh, Trey Young on the same card, Ooh. and that was real special to me because when I got when I really was you know back in the hobby and starting to buy cards again, Luka and Trey it was their rookie year. And they were like all the, you know, all the excitement was around Luca and Trey and everyone was chasing Luca and Trey's cards. And so that, that card's kind of symbolic for me to have a card that's signed by both of them. It's kind of symbolic of, of me getting back into the hobby. And so I love that card. Yeah, that's amazing. All right. Enjoy your hazelnut coffee and appreciate enjoy the that. rest of your day, sir. I really appreciate, appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. This was, this was a, a blast for me to talk sports cards with somebody. Cheers. Thank you, John. Take care. Cheers.